I'm Fathery. This is Dave. I'm Anna. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Starship Texas for the 66th installment of the Text Trek podcast, where we discuss Star Trek old and new. Tonight, we are talking about the season finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2, written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lummett, and Alex Kurtzman, and directed by Olin Tunde, Osun Sanmi. So these are the same people who wrote and directed last week's episode, as we discussed last week. No, uh, Dave, you were not here. You were I was not uh, here. I was partying up in New Orleans. By yeah. the way, I did. Uh, wa- I haven't watched all of the, the podcast yet, but I watched most of it. And uh, d- thanks for thanks for the well wishes for my niece Sammy. I appreciate it. Yeah, your sister in law got some acknowledgement, also. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Allison, I hope you heard that. <laughs> but uh, enough about Dave and his stupid family. We got- <laughs> We got some Star Trek to talk about. Fair this, enough. This is a big deal. We got we to have some. Something yeah. has to take precedent, and easily Trek takes precedence over my family. And we got some. How uh, lucky they are. <laughs> so we got some exciting stuff to talk about in, in this episode. This is a, a really big episode, and uh, before we go too far into it, just want to say like there's a little bit of Trek news. We got some new Star Trek casting information. Mm-hmm. Uh, three new adi- additional cast members. I'm not familiar with any of these actors or actresses. So I'm, I'm not even going to waste time delving into that. Um, I, I'll have a link to the article, but uh, we have so much to talk about that I feel like we just got to jump straight into our, our main topic here. But in, and, but in the background, the, the Picard show is percolating. Yes. Hashtag the Picard show. They have actually started production on, on Picard show. There are, are cameras rolling on that in, in California. So really? we, we are months away from the return of John Luke Picard. So he's being filmed even as we speak? Well, I mean... His stentorian voice. It's kind of late, so probably not right this moment, but... There's time zones. <laughs> yeah, but it's they're running late, late on a Friday. They, if it's yeah. running late. Yeah, we are we are recording this on a Good Friday uh, night, so I, I don't know if they're going to be working on that show right now, but uh, pr- production has started. <laughs> right. But uh, enough about Picard. We're here to talk about Discovery. And before we dive too deep into this episode, we will each present our opening, opening statements. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not we're not like in a courtroom. I know that's what it, opening <laughs> statements is courtroom. That that's your terminology. Well, what do you want to call it then? No, I like it. Okay, we are in a courtroom. I mean, we we did this the, the entire season. Public, the court of public opinion. We we went through all fourteen episodes before you said anything. Before there was any objection. I know. I, I wasn't objecting. I was actually very into it. Because they do that in the courtroom too. Uh, I played Phoenix Wright. I know how this goes. 
You're perjuring yourself. I think we're, <laughs> we're kind of objecting. I get going, Father. Yeah, let me. Uh, I retract the statement. Uh, please strike it uh, from the record. From the record, yes. I like that we get into all the legal talk when we don't have the attorney uh, on the podcast who has, who has yeah. discussed some of these episodes with us. But yeah, Trenton didn't make it. Uh, Holly is is not here. We only have room for four people. But yeah, we do have we do have Brian and Anna with us to close out the season. Mm-hmm. And yes, Holly has to go throw accents at things early in the morning. So. <laughs> that sounds fun. Can I go do that? Um, and and apparently get uh, compliments from uh, Anson Mount. Yes, yeah. yes. More more on that later. <laughs> but we'll we'll each give a spoiler free, very general uh, reaction to the episode. Uh, we'll um, start with uh, Brian and just go down the line. Okay. Uh, I guess as a standalone piece of uh, episode, I give it about a 7.5, solidly entertaining, not the, not the best discovery I've ever seen, but thoroughly enjoyable uh, on a, uh, and functional on that on that plane. As far as wrapping up the whole season, I've got to give it like an 8 or an 8.5. I thought they did a really good job of getting taking all the crazy that we've had spread out for a whole season and pulling it all together into one big flash. And I was like, yeah, that that's how you you do a season lock arc and and close it all off. So yeah, I I liked it. They were like, we've got a, we had a plan and it all all the pieces do in many ways come together in this. Yes, yes, very much so. And I love it. All right. Um, I had some not not necessarily mixed feelings. I just like by the end of it, I was like very fatigued. <laughs> uh, it was like emotionally. It was exhausting. very actiony. Like there was like it was seventy two percent action. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. That. It was more than seventy two percent action. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but uh, it was there was a satisfying feeling to like watching every single piece of the puzzle finally come together. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't, I actually can't think of many loose ends, save for one that I won't talk about now. But we'll get around to. Yeah, yeah, um, we should get around to those because I have several. So I was like, I was pretty pleased with it overall. Uh, I'm not a big fan of like hour long battles, so they're probably never going to win me over on that. But like, I felt like they had more good character moments and perhaps even some elicited more emotional responses from me than I thought they would. Interesting. So okay. I thought it was solid. Um, I uh, I'm gonna quick preface this by saying I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings movies pretty solidly, books as well, and uh, I can deal with a kind of long, uh, weepy ending, and, uh, my friends, you bow to no one, and all of that, and, and, and long goodbyes at the docks. Uh, but this, the two episodes of the, uh, back-to-back felt a little bit like more of that than even I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I thought it was a little bit of that, um, like, I feel like every single person had to have their kind of moment in the sun where they said farewell, confess that they'd always admire the person, to the point where, like, when Stamets told, um, uh, Jet Reno that he still hates her. Uh, I was actually, I was like, yeah, finally, somebody <laughs> yeah. did not get too misty. Yeah. Um, I did, uh, I was, uh, I did like how things came together and I thought I was like, okay, this is actually a pretty cool, this has been a cool kind of puzzle box of a season. And, um, um, although I might uh, quibble with some of the, some of the stuff, I did like the way, uh, the, all the reveals kind of were finally came out. So I liked the episode, but I was fatigued in maybe a different way. I think I was mm-hmm. like, rather than the battles, which I, I, I would have, yeah, like maybe more, I don't know, raw plot or, or yeah. character stuff. Um, it was more like, 
there was so much sincerity that even I, who likes sincerity, was like, oh my god, people hate each other a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, so, mixed bag for me. Fathery? I have to say it was also a mixed bag for me, but for very different reasons. Uh-huh. Um, I actually enjoyed the more emotional moments in the episode. I actually enjoyed the big action moments in the episode. Uh, I had problems, however, with some of the, the plot. I feel like there were a, a bunch of contrivances, some things that, that didn't quite make sense. There were some mysteries established earlier in the season that either didn't get resolved or, for me, they raised more questions here than they answered. Um, I don't want to come off as too too nitpicky. I'm not here to bash the episode, but uh, there there's a bunch of stuff in there that, that I, I dislike. There's also a bunch of stuff in here that made me smile, that made me say, oh my god, that looks so cool, or oh wow, what a neat idea. There's also stuff that made me go like, oh, what the hell, why would you do that? <laughs> but, um... Fathery, um, uh, we've, we've mentioned uh, Lost once or twice on this show before, and... I'm uh, not a fan. Right, but you also haven't <laughs> seen the whole thing. I have seen the whole thing, and... I read all the Wikipedia articles, though, so I'd know everything that happens. Well, that's amazing. And I'm glad I didn't watch it. It is definitely not... <laughs> Uh, I'm sh- as everybody I'm sure knows, Wikipedia is a perfect summation of a show and gives you all of its qualities by just laying bare its plot. But uh, Lost was a show that I think, uh, if you for, for many who made it through, it actually still had a pretty decent emotional resonance at the end. But there was there were a number of things where you're like, oh, that really didn't tie things together, or why did they, you know, why did they choose to focus on this and not explain that? And so I, I feel this actually veered a little bit to. I have to mention this because it's in J- Lost was J.J. Abrams produced. And J.J. Abrams did the 2009 series. But and I, I know the 2009 series has seemed influential on this season. That <laughs> um, I think it has some of... It's This show has actually always had a little bit of that. Uh, a little bit of a... If it's dramatic, that's more important than that it makes perfect sense. Yes, but this was some of the, the worst of it. Especially when they were saying, this is going to be the episode that explains everything. And there, I really enjoyed season two, but... It, Towards the back end of the season, there were some questionable stuff, in my opinion, and I'm not really sure if I feel like this episode sticks the landing for me. Mm-hmm. I, I think they, they did some, you know, sticking the landing. I, I like thought it did a better job sticking uh, the landing than the last episode of season one. Well, that was, that was where I had some issues, too. <laughs> I was in, like, this in, is much better. <laughs> in season one, I was a little, if, if y'all, if y'all uh, check the tape, it's on record. <laughs> Uh, I, I had some some issues with the finale of season one. I wasn't quite sure how I felt mm-hmm. about that. Even though there's, I loved seeing the Orions. I loved visiting Kronos. There was a bunch of cool stuff in there. But the Father, where was I on that? You have uh... <laughs> did I like the ending of season one? Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I... I I trust your your memory or your revisit well... better than I do myself because in my mind's eye, in my memory, uh, I, uh, I I like season one better as well. Well, I like season two much more than season one, but oh, I, I, yeah, I'm, touched, I'm talking about the finale exclusively. Okay, but um, I don't know, like this this finale, like there's a bunch of stuff in here I like, but it there's there's a bunch of a stuff that made you go rawr a little bit, and there were a bunch of plot holes that I'm still trying to okay. find find ways to explain. However, I feel like it should be my job to figure that stuff out. There was a couple of things I wasn't clear on, but everything was happening so fast and I was slightly distracted. I assume that if I watch it again, it'll make sense. Perhaps not. Perhaps that would reduce my rating. Yeah, but... I am just trusting that I missed some detail. Do the plot holes really matter if you enjoyed it, though? 
That is, by the way, that that discussion is, I think, lost in a mm-hmm. uh, in, in microcosm. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and and, and uh, I can say that like that's a case where I did, and this is overall a case where I did too. Um, but do we want to do the uh, do the summation of the or, you know the the, the quick? Um, sure. Yeah, we we can go ahead and engage our warp speed, and summary. then we'll dive into your question as we get into those sticky things as to like when we to our uh, closing statements to use the legalese. Yeah, <laughs> we need a little bells. <laughs> Ding. Yeah, to go with our, our Starfleet courtroom that yes. apparently we're in. This, this episode's on court martial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, we should get Trenton yeah. to do uh, help us do the the, the the what's the one where Data's on trial. Uh, me- measure of a man. Measure of a man. Next generation, and, season two, and uh, court martial to to assess the le- the legal aspects of them. Um, not too no, hardcore. No, because I've heard them bitch about that stuff. Oh no, it's, <laughs> it's it's not pretty. But they haven't. <laughs> our our audience okay. hasn't. All right, what do we got? Hit it, butter. So our warp speed summary. We open on the standoff before the big final showdown with control. The discovery. The Enterprise. And their 200 shuttlecraft and tactical flyers that they somehow managed to fit on their ships are ready to face off against the Section 31 fleet. The combined Starfleet crews have one job. Allow Burnham to create a wormhole in the Red Angel suit and get through it so that the Discovery can follow her into the future. The control-possessed Leyland has a viewscreen exchange with acting Captain Saru. It's clear neither side is willing to stand down. Leyland launches an armada of drones from his ships. A very Battlestar Galactica-looking battle begins, and both of our hero ships begin taking a beating. The drones make a run on the Discovery's shields to weaken them so that they can cripple the ship and Control may obtain the sphere data it has been seeking all season long. In efforts to buy the Disco crew more time, Queen Poe of Planet Zahia boards a shuttlecraft that leads a squadron to go on the offensive, while Pike orders the Enterprise in between the Discovery and the drones. Burnham leads the fabrication team down the corridors to the shuttle bay, rushing to launch the new Red Angel, while still adding the final few touches to the new suit. On their way, Stamets is impelled by falling debris caused by battle damage on the ship. Burnham and Spock must continue on, while Tilly takes the injured Stamets to sickbay. In sickbay, Stamets is tended for by his ex-lover, Dr. Colbert. Turns out Colbert didn't want to leave the Discovery after all, and didn't want to leave Stamets. He has to induce a coma on Stamets, but promises that he will patch him up and that they can rekindle their relationship. If anyone survives this battle, that is, Spock and Burnham reach the shuttle bay. Spock loads the now-charged time crystal into the suit, and it morphs around Burnham like Iron Man armor. Spock pilots a shuttle to guide Burnham, while she takes to flight and follows him. Pike orders Poe and the other smaller craft to escort Burnham. She makes it to a safe distance from the battle and lands on a big chunk of space debris. From here, she should be able to open the wormhole and escape into the future. But as soon as the Disco lowered her shields to launch Burnham, Leyland beamed aboard. He makes his way onto the bridge, armed with a phaser rifle. It looks a lot like that ominous future we were shown in the previous episode, in which Leyland murders the Discovery crew and obtains the sphere data. 
He proceeds into the Discovery Science Lab and locks himself in. Things take a bad turn on the Enterprise when the ship's forward saucer section is struck with an undetonated torpedo. Again, something that was shown in the Time Crystal Prophecies last week. If the torpedo goes off, it will blow a hole through four decks of the Enterprise. The Enterprise and Discovery continue to take damage as the battle rages on. Luckily, help arrives in the form of a Klingon cleave ship that comes plowing through some Section 31 ships. Tyler somehow found time in this battle to go all the way back to Klingon space and recruit his ex-GF, Chancellor Lorel, into the battle. But they also brought some Bayul starfighters from Kaminar, being led by Saru's sister, Serana. And on top of that, we get some D7 battle action as well. Today is a good day to die. Meanwhile, Burnham is having some unexpected trouble working in the Red Angel suit. She is unable to open the wormhole into the future. Spock concludes that before Burnham can go into the future, she must first travel back in time and cause the five red bursts the Disco crew have witnessed this season. Each red burst led the crew to a piece of the puzzle they needed to complete this mission. If not for the red burst, they would not have found Jet Reno, who aided in charging the Time Crystal. They would not have discovered the planet Terralisium, the home of the Red Angel's future base. They would not have freed the Kelpians, who are now allies in this battle, or obtained a Time Crystal of Borath, or have gotten Poe to use her patented crystal tech to charge the crystal. Spock asks Burnham to take a logical leap of faith and trust that by traveling to the past, she will be able to save the future. Burnham sets the coordinates for all five previous points in time and is shot into a wormhole created by the suit. We're then treated to a 2001-style visual acid trip as Burnham traverses space and time. We see her at the Hiawatha from the episode Brother. We see her at Terralisium in New Eden, Kaminar in The Sound of Thunder, Borath in Through the Valley of Shadows, and Zahia in Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1. While Burnham is doing her thing, we got a classic ticking clock situation on the Enterprise. The lodged torpedo is gonna blow if it can't be disarmed. Number one and Admiral Cornwell try and fail to find a way to disarm it. With only five minutes left before detonation, Pike makes his way down to deck five. Admiral Cornwell lets him know there is nothing left to try on the torpedo, and it's going to go off in 90 seconds. The only way to save the rest of the ship is for one of them to stay near the torpedo and seal the blast door. Pike wants to be the one to die saving the ship, but we all know he is meant for another future. And somehow, Admiral Cornwell knows this too. She orders him back on the turbo lift, and she closes the blast door. The torpedo explodes, killing the Admiral, but the rest of the ship survives. On the Discovery, Leyland pours through the ship's computer, searching for the sphere data, but is interrupted when Giorgio and Non bust down the door. Giorgio teases Leyland that she knows where the data is hidden. Her and Non make a run for it. Leyland takes the bait and pursues. Leyland chases them into a corridor, and Giorgio versus Controlland round two begins. But this rematch is occurring during a gravity malfunction. Giorgio and Leyland fight each other, Inception hallway style, on the walls and ceiling of the corridor. 
Eventually, the two combatants make their way to the spore room. Leyland seems to have gained the upper hand. He points out it was easy to predict Giorgio's algorithm, that she is keeping the sphere data on the spore room computer console. The two most valuable assets of the ship kept together. But Giorgio is not as helpless as it appears. She breaks free from Leyland's grip, and she kicks him into the spore chamber. She locks him in there, but his nanotech-enhanced strength is a real bitch, and he starts hammering away on the cube door. Meanwhile, Michael returns from her trip through the past. She informs Saru and the Disco that she is now able to make the voyage into the future. But Spock will not be able to follow. His shuttle's engines were damaged when he was struck by a stray torpedo. The two siblings are forced to say goodbye. Burnham tells Spock to find someone else in life who can help him balance his humanity with his Vulcan side. Spock tells her that he loves her and is beamed to the Enterprise. Burnham takes flight with the Red Angel wings spread wide and creates the sixth red burst of the season. Discovery locks onto the signal and follows her into a new wormhole. In the spore room, Leyland is still working on the spore cube door, but his efforts are in vain. Giorgio magnetizes the cube, ripping the nanobots out of Leyland. The diabolical Giorgio laughs gleefully to her enemy's screams. Control is neutralized, and for reasons that may not be clear, the discovery continues into the wormhole anyways. The coalition of the Enterprise, Klingons, Kelpians, and Poe watch as Burnham and the Discovery cross over and vanish as the wormhole collapses. Back on Earth at Starfleet HQ, Tyler, Pike, Number One, and Spock are debriefed. Each gets grilled by a Starfleet high and mighty uppity-up. They report that they saw the Discovery destroyed, keeping the ship's actual fate secret. In order to ensure a scenario like this never happens again, Spock recommends that Starfleet classifies all knowledge of the Discovery personnel and the Spore Drive. Even Amanda and Aseric swear to never speak of Michael again. Tyler is placed in charge of Section 31, and the Enterprise battle damage is repaired in dry dock. After months of waiting, the Enterprise detects the seventh and final red burst. Captain Pike and the Enterprise crew take off at warp to continue to seek out new life and explore new worlds, now knowing that their Starfleet brothers and sisters on the Discovery reached their destination a millennium in the future. The end. Until next season. I got a time travel question. What's up? Alright. This is one of those um, <clears throat> sort of, uh, what do you call it, open loop or closed loop sort of things. If... Um, where did the initial notion of, say, getting the the Kelpians as an army come from? She they she knows to do it now because she did it in the future. But at some point, she had to have the idea for the first time, right? Yeah. Well, uh, it was well. It this particular version. Uh, well, wanna, what do you got? Oh, Anna? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. But no, um, she mentioned, uh, or rather, her mom mentioned several episodes prior that she is the one who put. The, the the sphere in front of them which mm -hmm. awoke Saru so yeah. she had that information so she I guess like never there was never a point where she had to like learn it from someone or rather from herself mm -hmm. like her 
I guess, but what am I trying to say? Like, well, like she, the sphere was all past they, info, right? You, they went to you Kaminar. Get what I'm saying, I assume. Yeah, yeah. They 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 went to Kaminar because a red burst appeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even though, like, like Savru had like encountered the sphere and went through Kelpian puberty and his gangula <laughs> fell off, fell off. Uh, they didn't they didn't go to to Kaminar until there was a red burst there, which we we found out that that actually wasn't Mama Burnham. It was Michael Burnham. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, we're like, we, we never actually see, like, the inception of that idea. This is something that, like, Doctor... I mean, I guess arguably any one of the incidents, not just the Kelpians, like, I wondered quite where the impetus came from other than knowing that it's to come. This is something that Doctor Who does a lot. In, in, in modern Doctor Who, they've done this several times. Like, uh, the, the super famous episode, Blink, yeah, where there's, like, a, a script that is handed to the Doctor at the very end yeah. that... that he uses to set up everything that happened in the right. episode. Yeah. Or if, if you just go on YouTube and you type in uh, Doctor Who Grandfather Paradox, you can watch like this really cool video of Peter Capaldi, the, the greatest modern doctor, explaining uh, this, uh, this stuff with... He uses uh, Beethoven's Fifth as an example. Yeah. But um, y'all, y'all check that out. I'll put, I'll put a yeah. link to that, actually, because it's like a really cool moment with uh, my, my favorite doctor from Doctor Who. But... Yeah, I, I don't really like this trope, because if you think about it too hard, it falls apart. Well, it's it's a very old time travel trope in sci-fi that has been used in Star Trek before, I believe, and certainly has been used in lots of other shows. And they do actually attribute, they, they Mike, Mama Burnham says time has a will. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to say, and in Doctor Who, the novels, they flat out say, yeah, where do these paradoxical ideas and, and songs, like, oh, I wrote this song, but the reason I wrote it was because my future me came back and gave me the song, so I wrote it. So who wrote the song in the first place? Right. Uh, in the no- Doctor Who novels, I actually just flat out say it's it's an entity called time itself wrote those books. Wrote Crazy, those, uh, created those ideas. fated uh, and kind of stuff. They kind of seem to be hinting at this in this episode, er, in this in Discovery, where they say, where Mama Burnham says time has this will and time has this this intention and that also fits with what spock said about time in the 2009 star trek as well that there seems to be a destiny and a plan for more connections things. to 2009 track so i don't know whether i like my star trek i liked it in doctor who i don't know if i want that idea being repeated in star doctor trek who is a slightly that... more poetic kind of science fiction and trek well, is harder not yeah, hard yeah, yeah. obviously but... Do- doctor who is more whimsical and time yeah. is treated as almost like a magical thing yeah i don't mind them introducing a time deity in doctor who i'm not sure i want a time deity in my star trek yeah Let's i, I, I know i don't but i i i think that the the writers of the show don't want us to to Think of this that hard and poke at it that much. <laughs> right. Um, well, I was also like, know, you know, why didn't Burnham, like, she could have, like, if she has all of time at her, like, I guess she, she maybe can only make X number of trips or whatever, <laughs> but, like, she could have, like, gone and, like, why not rally another space fleet to come help them or... That's one of the plot holes I I, I want to point out, is that they make a very sure. big deal last week that the time crystal can do one one-way trip. She can go to the future and that's it. Whoa. But, no, she goes to five different points in time in the past is then still able to make her big trip to the future, and after that, she's able to send a red burst back in time. I do wonder where that that seventh red burst came from. That one, I don't know. I just figured, oh, time travel into the past isn't that big a deal. It's taking something into the future that requires this fancy gadget from from Poe. If you went chronologically backwards so that you're like a little farther backwards, a little farther backwards as she plants the various seeds, and then only does one big leap forward, maybe... 
But then she can still send a red burst back. Yeah, yeah I don't know where that's... that's enough. But that is something that's, of a that's something she, she got more in the future. She looked around and somebody had left some time crystals around for it, her. It, it feels like instead of saying this time crystal can only do one trip, it's like, this time crystal will do everything the writers want it to do, and then it'll break down. <laughs> well, they did working. establish that if you have a working time crystal and a powered up suit, well, I guess they said the suit was going to burn out, though, right? They said once she got to the future... It was the crystal that's going to burn out, out the because of yeah. their, so their they, process of fast charging it with, yeah, yeah. with Poe's uh, dilithium incubator. Yeah, so once they got to the future, they wouldn't have a time machine anymore. To be fair... Except I, they I still understand. send a red burst back. Mind you, how long did it take to get that red burst back? Maybe they went to Boreth, dug up another crystal, got the suit working... Yeah, they do my, hypothetically have lots they to work been, with. They could have spent years getting that seventh and burst we, would that, that would definitely not have been exciting screen time, which is, yeah. I know, their primary concern. Yeah. But they, it would have been exciting to see anything with the discovery at the end of the episode. I, 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 I think that was the it. whole point, was just to kind of mess with our heads and say, no, you don't get to know, tune in next season. And I was like... Did, all right, it annoys me, but it annoys me in a way that I really want to see next season. So, uh, mission accomplished. <laughs> Did anybody else feel like it felt like it could have been like a stealth finale to the series? Yeah, the whole time I was watching it, I thought that it felt like really fine. I, I, I mean, they've announced season three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, like, obviously and yet there was that, so many but... goodbyes, and then yeah. they, they, they so passed the baton to the Enterprise that the outro music was well, the TOS music. Well, they the ended thing... season one like that too. Yeah, I will say this: the um, the way they wrap up all of the why does nobody talk about Spock's sister and why does nobody talk about Spore Drive. All of that becomes a problem if Discovery comes back. This might have been them, the show saying goodbye permanently to the 23rd century. If I didn't know that this show was renewed for season three and I watched this episode, my assumption would be that it's now going to be a Pike and Spock and number one Enterprise show based on how it ended like that. With, yeah. with those characters. It felt like the Discovery crew were gone and the, the, the story would continue on the Enterprise. I know that that's not the case. I know that Alex Kurtzman even came out today, uh, the day of recording, and, and said in, a, I believe it was a Hollywood Reporter interview, I'll, I'll provide a link to that, but he said they're like, yeah, we're going to do season three of Discovery, it's going to be those characters set a thousand years further in the future. Oh, they've, they've said that. Oh, yes. Awesome. They're, that's so weird. I, I don't, I mean, I can't even guess what that would look like, so I, I, it's maybe weird to try and formulate any strong opinion on it. But it feels like that far out, it won't quite feel like Trek because it'll be crazy wildland territory. It'll uh, feel like what could be Voyager should have been. Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> um, I do like the sort of the comfort food, I guess, of like the trappings of warp engines and like if if, if people are like, well, now we just uh, you know use nanotechnology and you know if we want to do something, we change the shape of our body and like like I almost feel like if you're not doing that, something that wild, then. Why set it in a thousand years in the future? And if you are, will I be able to relate to it? I, I mean, feel like it's a Kobayashi Maru. I feel like it's a no-win scenario. Because you either have to create like a crazy, super-advanced future. And, and you're going to have to do stuff with, with Picard to make it look more advanced than Discovery. Right. After they added all this weird stuff in Discovery that doesn't really belong in the 23rd century. Well, which is what I was going to say. is the, like I think that putting the Discovery in the future is the natural progression of the show. Mm-hmm. I think that there is no, like, in this time period threat that they can throw at the Discovery because the Spore Drive is so, like, advanced mm-hmm. that, like... It was getting really annoying throughout this season. Like, oh, Stamets has a headache and he can't jump, <laughs> or somebody forgot to put the keys in the spore drive. Right. Like, like they they need to have more futuristic threats for the discovery. There there needs to be well, more you know that can well, actually. Well, if it's them. one ship all by itself without a fleet to support it, 
that becomes a lot more desperate. That's even with thing. those toys. That's what I mean is that you you either you either have to create like a, a super insane advanced future to make it feel a thousand years further ahead than what we're used to in Star Trek. Or you can do like, uh, well, no, actually, things aren't that great. A thousand years in the future, and <laughs> Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Yeah, and I, I would hate that because I don't want to see like, oh yeah, like the Federation actually doesn't work out. It's all going to collapse. I, I hate that so much. I hate that idea. I don't want that in Star Trek. I don't admit a thousand years is a bit much to expect any government to sustain. I mean, it's not impossible, but no. that's a, that as is well. A... It's not possible according to the history that we have known. But in a thousand years, who knows? Well, so, how but to, to get upset with them from making the Federation unreal, uh, 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 longer lived than than we would necessarily right. expect is is perhaps an unfair criticism. Yeah. And see, here here's my other problem: is a lot of people were always freaking out from day one on the show about. Like, oh, why is the discovery of the spore drive that's never talked about? Why did Spock never mention his sister? I didn't need that explained. I, I feel yeah. like you could create a reason in the show why the spore drive doesn't work anymore. Like, <laughs> like the, the the spore, the mycelial aliens, maybe, like, they close themselves off from, from our universe for some reason. You know, it's easy to write something like that. It would like be that. a good idea, honestly, for them to do that. The, the <laughs> idea the idea of, of Spock having to have a rule never to talk about his sister, I, I hate that. It's so unnecessary and feels... <laughs> Like so manufactured, I guess I I didn't necessarily. I thought it was uh, I don't need that, but whatever. But so many people have complained and complained about it that I was like, all right, this is in here for all those other fans who can't just grow up. (laughs) So (laughs) you know, also like I mean, I have a sister too, and I recently have gotten on a much better relationship with her, but I don't talk about her all the time. I don't bring her up unless someone asks, yeah. like, is it yeah. really that far I've watched several podcasts with talk? you and you've never mentioned your sister before exactly. at all. It's I don't believe you a have a sister. Uh-huh. Yeah, a exactly. Check out, check out this example. This is, this is how I make this argument. Is that uh, the, the TOS uh, Season 1 episode, Operation Annihilate, uh, we find out that Captain Kirk has a brother, George Kirk. He actually dies in that episode, um, and he is never mentioned again. Now, let's say that Operation Annihilate didn't happen. Let's say that episode never took place. And then, years later, someone wants to do, like, a prequel story, Operation Annihilate, and Kirk has a brother on this colony. You'd have people being like, no, Kirk can't have a brother. He never mentions having a brother yeah, before. Yeah. He, he even, like, implies in Star Trek V that, like, he thinks a Spock is his brother that he lost. and right. And so it's like... Uh, crazy to like shoehorn a, a brother that he never had into the timeline. I'm like, like no, it's just like he doesn't mention it because it. Yeah, he, it's, it's actually pretty yeah. easy for me to assume that a lot of conversations uh, take place off camera when that when you do prequel stuff that introduces new elements. As long as you're just not constantly doing it. If it was happening all the time, it would it, it would become obnoxious. But. I never had an issue with, like, it wasn't one of my concerns about Burnham was, you know, that she hadn't been mentioned previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, and I just had, had so many questions about, like, we, we didn't see Burnham's mom again. We still don't understand, like, why did Burnham hear her mom die? I thought they would explain that in the season. Maybe they'll explain it in season three. I hope that he just, they just don't, like, Oh, like when it. she was hit, hiding in the closet or whatever? Yeah. Because yeah. Well, they, they mentioned that in season two. Like, they bring that up. Michael's like, no, I heard her die. Did yeah. she like scream or make a gurgling noise or something? Like, what was the actual death? Maybe sound? the sound because... of, of taking off in the Red Angel sounds like someone dying. <laughs> I mean, like when Michael got in the suit and did the first jump, like she looked like she was gonna shit bricks. Like she was just <laughs> screaming her fucking head off. So like, 
I would probably think someone was dying if that was all I heard. I mean, maybe that's what it is, and they just were just like, we're not going to state this, but you yeah. know, fans on message boards, some somebody will eventually figure it out and just say it, and I, then I have, they'll, they'll all get it. I have to admit, just like I don't really care if they about the whole Spock never mentioned his sister. I don't really care about the Michael Burnham claims she heard her mom die. I can let both of those go. Well, it was like very specific. <laughs> I didn't need an how, explanation for either of when, those. But. It was kind of specific what she implies when she says, yeah, they killed my dad. They took longer with my mom. It didn't like, feel yeah. like they were and, setting something right. up. Right. It was almost more like they just changed but, their notion of what they wanted to have occurred. I mean, and, sorry. And, and, and that's all. And, and then they soft rebooted that one scene. I have felt like that a lot with season two of the show was that like a lot of the darker elements of the show, they've walked them back. And I don't know if it was in direct response to fan criticisms, but like if I'm talking about like the level of darkness that I want in Star Trek, uh, implied like gang rape is not one of them. Yeah. So I agree. Like if there is something to walk back, it's that. Yeah. I'm completely with you. Yeah. And I can see how someone might think like, yeah, that's too icky to be in Star Trek, but I don't like, just like ignoring stuff like that and acting like it didn't happen. You're I, a I Jeff Johns guy, is, that's, that's, DC that's, superhero guy who would like it explained uh, with with a storyline. Well, I, I don't I don't need them to like if you don't like that, just stop mentioning it. But don't don't completely contradict it. That, to me, bad. like that sloppy writing. You're like, yeah, we'll just change yeah. the past whenever it suits our purposes. I mean, I do think that we have pointed out in the past. There's some sloppy writing in Discovery. Um, it, it, it does happen. And again, I, I like the show, but. That it's, like it's got it a few recurring weak spots, and sometimes that's you know minor plot points. Sometimes un- unearned emotional payoffs. And I, I, I want to get into some positive stuff on the show, sure. and, and ask y'all what, what y'all liked in this episode. But I got one last like major big bitch to, to get out of the way, okay. okay? Before I can talk about like the stuff I like and, and what y'all like. Unleash it. <laughs> control. I don't like control as a villain. I, we never find out what Control's motivation is. Apparently just wants to kill organic yeah. life because we're meant to think that's what like evil, super intelligent computers do. They just want to wipe out all life for some reason. It's like that's a trope we see so much that like uh, it, to me like it feels like the writers just like expect us to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like the origins of control. Did they? Did the Red Angel create control by causing that time tsunami over Kaminar where the probe went into the future and then came back and corrupted Arium. Like, what was the origin of, of Control going rogue? That's never really explained either. I assume uh, Control going rogue was kind of like Skynet. It just got a little too big and a little too smart and <coughs> started doing it, making its own decisions. And, and I mean, we have this computer. Uh, what, how do we keep it? From, it's really powerful. How do we keep it from, like, you know, doing bad things? Oh, don't worry. We've given it a bunch of rules. Uh, we've also given it all the Section 31 ethics codes. Oh, so <laughs> yeah. I can ignore whatever rule I want as long as it uh, achieves yeah. my prime directive. I, mean, I feel like <laughs> I can easily believe that something like that happened. Why, 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 I feel like, like Section 31's their, their uh, you know, the manipulative hubris created a computer that was that that wanted to build itself up into a this this super hyper sentient fascist destructive computer. Then if that's yeah. the story they wanted to tell, they should have told that story instead of creating this weird time travel probe that comes back in time. Like apparently, control becomes like this this big bad in the future and is able to send that probe back. Sounds like it shouldn't have sent the fucking probe back, and, and it could have turned into like that big evil, big bad, anyways. It's well, time travel weirdness. Maybe they'll discuss it in season three. I don't think they will. I don't but, think they will. I, I have to admit, I'm kind of. Um, but, unless neutralized doesn't mean dead. 
Well, she says Leyland is dead. Control is neutralized. Unless, yeah, and if they have a little bit of, set of control left on the ship that still potentially could wake up, mm-hmm. then maybe we will learn more about control. What I, I'd like, I'd like to like talk about some of like the, the positive stuff in this episode. Um, the, the, like the, the visual spectacle of this episode was pretty impressive. What, what oh, do y'all yeah. think of like the battle? There, the graphics. There's this one scene where they're like, the disco's getting hammered on all sides and the Enterprise like does this thing where they go and body block them yeah. and like they just take everything. Yeah, it's like they I thought that was pick. like one of the coolest visuals yeah. like in the entire episode. You know, those, I was completely in love with that. Yeah. Those ships got so wrecked by the end of it that they looked like Marv from Sin City at the end of Sin City. <laughs> <laughs> but it, did, it, it, it did feel a little too Battlestar Galactica-ish for me. But... Battlestar Galactica introduced that sort of in a big way, that cinema verite style of like, as if a handheld camera was trying to track it, and there's lots of things that move by too quick, and they blur, and there's lens flare and all that. And the zoom in. And... It does does look cool. Uh, like, I, I there's a lot of stuff in it. I liked it, especially like when the Klingon Cleave ship, which is a cool name, came yeah. in and wrecked that shit because it's giant. Um, but small fighters fighting and moving in that kind of with hun- in the hundreds. Uh, feels like more of a Star Wars thing than a Star Trek thing to me. So yeah. that was a minor, minor issue. So the only way I can explain that is we know under under Pike's tenure, the Enterprise holds a crew of 200 people, and later under Kirk, it holds 400 people. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the reason why it holds extra 200 people a few years later is because they downsize their shuttle bay. <laughs> it, it is ridiculous for these two ships you know, to have 200 shuttlecraft between I them. I kind of like I kind of like that somewhat ridiculous explanation because you know what they are we did talk about how earlier in the season they had the drones that they had to fight to get to the section 31 base and like it seemed like drones have been coming up sort of thematically. Well, well they and they, drones are a kind of creepy thing in our real world. So the notion that they might replace replace that with essentially human intelligence and uh, stuff I kind of like as a thematic through line. Well, didn't mm-hmm. number one mention she loaded the ship up before coming out? Yeah. Here. So, yeah, so but, that could explain a lot of our ridiculous number of fighter shuttle pod things. But I, I know, yeah. I know you've seen the blueprints to that ship. Like, <laughs> you're not putting two hundred shuttlecraft in there. Uh, well, I was a shuttlecraft. Hey, they had Discovery some, they... is built like in such a way that she could carry a lot of shuttles. I don't know if they've stated the number, but there's certainly the yeah. potential there for a lot of shuttles in Discovery, just given the way she's. Was I it... mean, she's built that same design of starship has been used as a shuttle carrier in fan blueprints based off the old uh, Star oh, Trek Phase Two. An design. actual yeah, shuttle the, carrier. The actual was this some carrier. weird inside tip of the hat to the RPG of the eighties? Uh, I I don't know. I, I don't think it was in the yeah. RPG. But it was, oh, okay. it was the original phase. Oh, right. The phase two di- design for the Enterprise that was originally drawn up yeah. was a a big U. Was basically discovery the the, Ra- and, the Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah. Was was that for Phase Two or was it for Planet of the Titans? Uh, one or the other. It all kind of blurs together that pre motion picture yeah. stuff. No, but fandom no, no took one cares that. What we're des- talking about right now. I was yeah. going to say we're on a Star Trek podcast, but you guys are fucking nerds. <laughs> You know, one thing I wanted to say in, uh, about the big battle stuff is that I, the sort of breathless vibe of a battle, uh, I thought that they really captured well. There was a lot of quick camera movements inside, people running down halls, destruction. Yeah. But there was also kind of that can-do, panicked attitude. Yeah. My favorite moment was Pike's very succinct something. What would he say? We're Starfleet. Get it done. Yeah. yeah. Qu- yeah. Quoting Captain Jellico. Whoa, is it? Oh, is that that was, that was I always kind of like Jellico. That was Jellico's catchphrase in Get Jane, it done. Jane of Command. But he said, it, he said it more like a jerk, though. More like. So Jellico was quoting Pike. 
Yes, interesting. Um, I like that. I, I would have rather Pike. I would rather Pike quote uh, Larry the Cable Guy and just be like, "Get her done." <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, they did make, make uh, that to no. be kind of southern, didn't they? I would like. I would like yeah, that to be stricken from the record if we're going <laughs> to strike things from the record. Oh. I, uh, as far as the the big episode long battle. What I liked was, I, I, I mentioned this last time, that they've spent this whole season built setting up all the dominoes. Mm-hmm. And then we'd get an hour and five minutes, was it, to watch them all fall down all at once. And it was mm-hmm. glorious. Yeah. <laughs> Special effects were for sure through the roof. Oh, yeah. I love that, that long tracking shot of when Burnham jumps out of the shuttle bay yeah. and oh, she's yeah. flying. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you have like all those ships trying to like uh, support her and protect her. And yeah. she's like following Spock. That's yeah. like that their space. So cool. Their space Scorsese shot, and yeah. like I get, I get like this big smile on my face right now just thinking about it. But I, I know I was, I was smiling like this watching it. That when when she like is coming over like the Enterprise saucer. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. was so I, cool. That was an amazing shot. I love, I love the Matt Jeffries Enterprise so much. It's like one of my favorite Starship designs ever of all time. And the, and this version of the Enterprise is so faithful to that. It looks so beautiful from so many different angles, and I I, I love them using these these creative techniques to photograph it in new ways I haven't seen before. I've never seen, like, a person flying through space, like, their perspective yeah. on the ship. It looked yeah. so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yet, it's almost borderline superhero stuff, but it, they, they've been setting it up for a long time with that suit. And, and yet we've got the beams and sound effects from the old 60s Star Trek mm-hmm. in the middle of all of this new... A fancy way of doing things. The sustained beams, they weren't pulses. The, yeah, the phasers yeah. were like a sustained blue beam. Yeah. You know, that's TOS. a thing for me. I like I the, love that. I, like, I was like, oh. I like beams over bolts, and I like the capital ships that act like capital ships but, and kind of just move around in a big way while fires fly around like your, your Your favorite movie, The Wrath of Khan, is the one that introduced the bolts, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Uh, but, you know, when they're, like, shearing the side of the ship in it, it felt more like a beam to me. Like, it was acting like a beam. You know, yeah. making a sustained burn. But it was pulsing. Yeah. Okay. But, all right. Uh, also, yeah, yeah. speaking of superhero things, I really liked that, like, Iron Man interface that they put over Burnham's head while they were doing a lot of that stuff. Like, the heads-up display yeah, like, stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, when she, also, when she goes into, when she actually goes into the wormhole, I thought the effects were great. It was oh, like, yeah, it was amazing. It was very 2001 imaginative. It didn't look like anything we'd really quite seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, off mic earlier, we were talking about Interstellar, uh, the Nolan movie, and like I felt like it had some of the same imaginative of visual design that that did, too. Yeah. And I feel like this is, is the director, uh, Olan Tunde Osunmi. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always nervous I'm saying his name wrong, but uh, he, he's like the head director of Discovery. And I, I, I can see why he wanted to direct these last two episodes, and, and I'm sure he was having tons of fun with that, because this, this show does have such a big budget. I would say too big when they're adding uh, CGI repair droids that come out of the Enterprise. and The little adorable... They so odd. They did. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we I noticed... Like Pixar robots. When they popped out, there was one of those classic Trek sound effects, <laughs> of like a, one of those switches activating, mm-hmm. or whatever, like the bridge sound effect, and that was neat. And then a bunch of dumb little baby cute Wally robots shot out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was fine with the robots if they'd done something, but then we just we see them fix some things, and then we they, cut away, and they never amount to it anything. It doesn't even look like they're fixing anything. <laughs> like they're like shooting laser beams down at the hole, at like areas that aren't That's even how you damaged. Fix things. They you were repo like lasers can fix and, anything. <laughs> it's like it's like a video game where like you you click on like repair ship, and there's like this little animation that's supposed to like represent the ship being repaired. <laughs> Star, Star Trek's always done that. that oh, one. No, it's like. Okay, 
Okay, we fixed the holograms well, on they, the Enterprise. We have There's... seen their 3D printers actually shoot a beam that lays down material. That's yeah. probably what they are, is mobile oh. 3D printers that are fab shooting fabrication it, beams down onto the hull. It just seems awkward they made such a ceremony out of removing the holograms from the Enterprise. Just to add in, like, stupid robots that don't, don't make sense. They didn't either. have the stupid robots in the other... Uh, they could have been running around in other episodes. <laughs> we don't get close-ups of the outer hall in 60s Star Trek. Yeah, just because they didn't talk about the stupid robots doesn't mean yeah, they're they're just not relevant. Yeah, when Lucas does his refilm of it, they're going to be flying out the windows all the time. Maybe if it was a cool idea, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I think it's kind of lame. Yeah. It's I, one of those I, okay. doesn't quite feel like Trek kind of I, I feels like a really cool idea, but if the ship is firing its impulse engines, those little robots are going to probably go, <laughs> he left behind, so. Um, but we did get some really cool shit with the Klingons in this episode. This is mm -hmm. my favorite depictions of Klingons since season four of Enterprise well, okay. back in 2005. They honestly okay. felt like they were, like, like I felt like I was kind of watching next-gen era <laughs> Klingons, and that I got pumped when... When they, like, all as one, like, are like, today is a good day to die. Yeah. Yeah. It and was like, uh, so say we all in the first Galactica. Lorel, Lorel was so cool when, when she, she, was. she gets injured and she's like, ah, laughing. She's like, I thought my chancellorship would be bloodless and boring. <laughs> <laughs> And she um, said we're going to, like, wade knee-deep in their corpses or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah she, I, she was so much what I want from a Klingon. I'm actually, like, completely in love with her as a character. And I noticed that, like, Ash stayed in this time period. And I'm wondering if, like, we're not going to see more of their, like, I guess, interpersonal stuff. Um, there's obviously some problematic nature to it, given, like, the state of their, like, Ash Tyler's, like, dual personality. Sure. But how but, how like, he, like, has, like, rape PTSD from... While simultaneously being like, oh, yeah, the other half of me was, com like, in love with you. Yeah. And so, I don't like, think they're going to address that, or they generally have it in a very serious way. It's... Yeah. However, I would like to... I mean, I don't want to necessarily say see them pick at it, but like the the bit where Laurel is like watching Ash on the bridge of the Cleave ship as he is watching uh, Burnham jump through the wormhole never to come back. I was gonna bring I was that like, up. Yeah. I felt bad. I was <coughs> no. like, this is like the worst love triangle ever because like the connecting pieces are all on fire. I felt so sad. <laughs> I felt so sad for Laurel at that moment when yeah when when. It has like a montage where everyone like staring at the discovery going into the wormhole, and, and yeah, and and when Tyler's looking at it, it cuts to a flashback of him have his last kiss with Michael uh, in the previous episode, mm -hmm. um, and Laurel is staring at Tyler like she knows what he's thinking, and her eyes look so sad because she's just like he'll always love her and. He'll never love me. And it's also particularly bad because, like, in this moment, he's also the most Vogue he's been ever. <laughs> like, he's commanding oh, yeah. the fleet, like, from the bl bridge of a Klingon ship, and he's, like, a huge badass. And honestly, I actually like Tyler more in these situations <laughs> than in Section 31. Um, and so, like, it must be particularly bittersweet to be like, yes, yeah. Vogue is standing beside me, but it's not This Voke, is the far-flung future. Can they not work in some polyamory? Can they not try and make it work as a as you a know triad? that would get rid of all the angst? So. Um, I, actually, I, that's that's one of those many things. That actually, way back when we were talking about, we'd like to see some sexual progressivism in Trek that I'd like to see them potentially acknowledge. It obviously doesn't need to be a big part of the thing, but if they had those kind of casual relationships every once in a while, yeah. I think it'd be kind yeah. of cool. They well, dabbled with I, it with flocks. Yeah, I was going to say they did an Enterprise that it was surprisingly tasteful. Yeah. So what? What we're talking about, like, with the, that that Klingon sequence and how cool that was, mm. I do have to say that there's a major plot hole there in 
they made a very big deal that all the Klingons had to think Tyler was dead. And he couldn't set foot on Borath, because the, even, even these weird monk Klingons can't see that he's alive. But here well, he's, like, on a ship with other Klingons just hanging out. Yeah. I mean, I think... I was, those, like, her specially chosen bridge crew, like, and, and everything else is, like, there's a CG version of him on monitors or something. Alternatively, he just hopped in and was like, get in, losers, we're going to blow up some Federation <laughs> shit, and they just completely forgot about it. Oh, that. I can't say no to blowing up Federation <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want Klingons that would be like, oh, well, I'm loyal to Lorel, even though she's, like, uh, deceptive and, like, lied to the Empire. Like, sure. like yeah. that's, that's Romulan shit. Don't 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 Romulan up my Klingons. Yeah. Well, I I, I mean, they should what they they shouldn't have made such a big deal about Tyler not being able to be seen by Klingons if they were going to come up and do this ending. Yeah. I can totally see why we did this ending. We don't want Tyler to just say, "Oh, by the way, I called the Klingons, but I'm hiding in a crate. It, 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 I'm hiding in Lorel's bedroom on the Klingon <laughs> ship so that the, no one on the Klingon ship knows I'm here. That would be lame. Especially but as they, a... But they kind of shot themselves in the foot by setting all this stuff up yeah, at the front end of the season. It's also weird that, like, 20 minutes into this battle, he had enough time to go all the way back to Klingons. Like, his his shuttle must have had a spore drive on it. I just assumed he'd already way. arranged all this and he was just picked up on the way. That the Klingons were on the had been had been on their way for, for since the same time that what what they in the last episode in the previous episode part one Discovery jumps Spore jumps away and then Enterprise takes off at warp. I assume that was about the same time the Klingons took off at warp. Out of curiosity, and I think you and I maybe the, the more the most casual among uh, this this quartet here. Uh, had you thought about that? I had I thought about yeah. Are you yeah. like are, are you Klingons like worrying about the travel so times and everything? I don't think it even once occurred to me. Yeah, it didn't really bother me <laughs> at all. Just curious. Like, they did show up fashionably late anyway, so... <laughs> right, but they showed up dramatically on time. Yeah, exactly. They showed up for the Helm's Deep charge uh, mm-hmm. down with, with Gandalf. I, I, I can see the Klingons are sitting out there. We need to make it badass. Not yet. <laughs> right. Not yet, she says Lorel. Not I would honestly now. Kind of, I would kind of love that if they did. Maximum coolness. There that, that, it is. That's like, that's like a robot chicken gag. Really, like they, 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 they show you like the like the weird scene like that. Of what, what, what must have been going on? But, um, you're you're going to tell me the Klingons aren't melodramatic? Yeah. If the, you, there's a way you could do that scene you talked about and and write it with a little bit of caution and nuance, and I think make it work. Yeah. Where the Klingons are like. You know there is there's no uh, there's no honor in a battle easily won like yeah, uh, this battle exactly. needs to <laughs> it needs to grow and become what it will be and we will we will know when it is we, time we, to strike we, and, you we know will feast on this banquet when it is ready yes <laughs> exactly it could be done <laughs> what about uh, early on when they're running down the corridors building the the red angel suit yep that was super cool super oh, yeah. good, good way to show like starfleet working together doing the science mm-hmm. yeah yeah i, yeah, like I it. dug they're... it they they created a real strong sense of momentum there there were a couple of bits that I actually didn't like about that. Like, one of the ones, um, I love Stamets, mm-hmm. and I feel like he didn't get to do anything except get his ass kicked by mm-hmm. rocks. Well, like, had, falling rocks. He had some cool stuff in the, <laughs> the like, building of the, 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 he, the suit. He did, but he was an asshole. Like, the, get off the line, I'll take care That's of this Stamets. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and it is, but, like, I would have liked to see him... I don't know, be more likable? I felt he like he was not a do. fixture he in this season at all. Uh, he Him and Tilly, Tilly yeah, know? I was going to say, both were a little bit pushed out by new characters, by Pike and Spock, etc. Yeah. In Reno. In Reno, yeah. Uh, Tilly, but she was also kind of pushed off the screen. Tilly took a back seat the latter half of the season. 
I don't know if it's because Mary Wiseman. I know it was also getting a, a married earlier this year, and I don't know if she was busy with that. More like married or... Wiseman. Um, <laughs> wow, sure. you're very clever, Dave. <laughs> He's a wise. I'm man. still in. I'm still in mourning that she's wise that she's guy. Like, you mean? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> oh. But the, they did have Tilly do like the one little cool thing, uh, repairing the shields because it needed. The, they, they said that the discovery couldn't survive the wormhole without shields. Right. So they they did give. They did throw her one bone. Everybody got to do something. Well, oh, I wanted to quick mention that there was. I thought the music, which I'd been, was one of those things that I kind of have always wanted to like be pushed a little bit more into that dramatic original series uh, level of music where it's like it, it plays a big role. And I thought there was some particularly good music in this episode. Uh, I think notably, I want to say it was, um, uh, let's see, oh yeah, uh, the farewell uh, to uh, Sarek and Amanda. Uh, go back and watch that. You'll, the music is pretty strong. That was strong. last week. Oh shit, I was watching, I watched it back to back. All right. But this one too, because there was this, this episode had notably the reorchestration of the uh, the main discovery theme and some TOS themes, including blending them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, w- I was just noticing that the, the music was definitely more potent in this in this uh, these last few episodes than I expected it to be. I, I like I like Jeff Russo's score uh, generally, um, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it doesn't always just like really stand out and just hit me. It's like, oh my god, that's great. Right. The themes uh, are some... still not quite the the TOS level. So, sometimes it does hit me like that, and in this episode was definitely like, some of the, the best discovery music ever. Uh, I, I particularly love like the Spock theme that they've used multiple times throughout the season. And they, they, they use it in here in kind of a sweet way when, when Spock's in his shuttle, Burnham's in the suit, and they're making like their final goodbye to mm-hmm. one another. Uh, by the way, how weird is it that, that Michael basically tells Spock, like, yeah, go and find Kirk? Like, that real, like, all the, like, the Kirk Spock shipping, all, like, the, the, the fanfic and the theories that, like, Spock and, and Kirk have, like, this, like, this, like, gay romance going on, like, like, that's what do you mean theory? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like like, like a lot of these conversations, it was just off camera. You, 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 you can make a pretty damn convincing argument that that happened, uh-huh. and like with Burnham's speech about go and find that one person yeah. in, in the universe like that. I mean, like, like I was like, like Spock is gonna gonna be like like looking for for uh, for Kurt. his his to, soulmate. Yeah, like yeah. looking for his soulmate. Yeah, well, you know, she didn't say look for someone to love. She said look for someone to balance you. Oh, balance you. <laughs> right. uh, and I really... It's like a fortune cookie in bed, uh, yeah, parenthetically no. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, as much as I, I, loved, I loved those exchanges, and I thought they were so well written and acted, this does, to me, kind of mess up the Spock arc that's already been established, where he's, he's the very cold very Vulcan, embarrassed to show any emotion in the original series. And then as we get to know him more and more, and in the TOS movies, he does start to embrace his human side a little bit. And I, I think this kind of undercuts that arc by, by showing him... It's like it happened earlier. Yeah. And then he forgot it again. Which, um, I mean, to be fair, people didn't do... forget it. He had right. his... He lost his sister. Yeah, exactly. And he said, fuck emotions. That's that's what I, I was telling myself. That, that, was, that was what I was putting in my head cannon, filing away. Just like but, Spock in in, in, in uh, Star Trek uh, Into Darkness, where he's all kind of like just kind of had it with life after losing his mom in Star Trek uh, 09. You know, I was like, yeah, this is probably going to hit him really hard. I think psychologically, you can make a decent case for it, um, but but I, I feel where you're coming from. I mean, fathery. he's not going to tell. 
He's not going to tell her right now, uh, no, losing you is so painful, I'm never going to go through this again. I'm not going to find that other person. No, he's going to keep his mouth shut and let her feel like she's making a difference, even if he's already decided, yeah, I'm not doing this. But <laughs> so. We got a lot of Reno in, in the, uh, the the back half of the season. Reno had the yeah. best laugh yeah. out live. Uh, sorry, sir, or whatever, and, after yeah. she... Get off my ass. ass. Oh, sir, yeah. Sir, yeah. Actually, yeah, that I, didn't, I didn't like that. I thought that was too, like, you wouldn't say that to your your captain. Reno would. I mean, Jet yeah, Reno would. She would though. I don't know. Nobody I, else would, but Jet Reno absolutely would. She, she ran out of fucks to give <laughs> a long time ago. Well, well, she technically, I think, never had to uh, build them up on the on the disco. She was I mean, not that's fair. She arrived all out of fucks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like war, war will do that to you. She tore them apart to uh, keep her crew on the <laughs> a long time. Ago. That's right. No more. She fucks. built a bunch of fuck equipment. <laughs> So to speak. What exactly did Reno have to do charging the time crystal? We just see her like in that room watching the, like she's watching a phone charge. She's like, oh, it's at 98% now. Need need another minute. Well, last um, episode they said she had to bring down the shield, which was going to give her the hallucinogenic yeah. visions, but she but, apparently had to modulate something and keep a, you know, you couldn't I, just walk away from it. I would like yeah. a little techno babble explaining why someone right. needed to be in the room with her. I, I, I thought they kind of covered that last they, episode. If you go back and watch that episode, they, they don't. They just say, like, yeah, like, drop drop the, the cage. They call it the cage around the crystal. Yeah. It'll give you, like, weird, trippy visions. Somebody needed to be in the room to, like, regulate it when it ended so they didn't yeah. destroy the crystal. That you can't works. do that remotely from, like, the other end of the ship? Don't I mean, when you've there's got a lot of remote minutes. things that could have been done remotely in various Star Treks mm-hmm. that they don't. Um, but yeah, I think it, it is a slight weak like point that like they had to have. They could have brought in person. a cutesy, stupid robot to upset you all, and the cutesy, <laughs> stupid <laughs> robot could have regulated things. Yeah, we could have had Eve from Wally take care of that too. <laughs> I mean, the reason why it bothers me is because they made a big deal that she she was a big piece of the puzzle. We had to have a red burst to go and recruit Reno so that she could like sit in this room, have like a. Uh, Flash forward to the future and watch like a, a charge meter go up to hundred percent. Nobody else also, was had had lost enough fucks to be able to sit in that room yeah. for that long. <laughs> like yeah. she was, I think, uniquely equipped mentally to deal with the stress of getting all these fucked up visions of the future. Like she lived all those fucked up. Visions. Yeah, that actually, that, I think that's I think that's maybe the best overall notion is that she she had, you had to get somebody who was really hardened and experienced and had like even like. PTSD shell shock. Kind she of she has seen the future. She saw the original series. She saw all the movies. She now <laughs> saw Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and she knows what happens in the Picard yeah, I know series. the idea. She's like, like <laughs> Spock, you're going to get really old, and then you're going to go back in time and just like change history to this like really really weird stuff where where Kirk steals a car and he's a little kid. I mean, <laughs> if they did have her like say that line at some point, I don't think it would have felt out of character at all. <laughs> I'm glad she's still on the ship i'm glad so that she, she will be a uh, part of the crew it seems in season three yeah she's i don't i don't think i've made it any secret but she's like my favorite character on the show yeah yeah I'm it, super she, she's one of my favorites there's just like a couple stuff in here that fell a little flat for me I, like i'm a cat i got five lives left that, is, that was great too yeah, i love that i don't know i thought that was kind of lame mean, i was like you know, you're funnier than that reno come on I yeah, some it. of her lines do feel like come on you're a comedian you're better than this yeah, like, like but, let, let tignataro write her own jokes yeah for, for I, stuff I, like I, i've never seen her perform but i thought I loved her jokes in this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, grew up in Houston, by the way, so uh, Texas shout out. Oh, nice. 
So, uh, not only does it look like Reno will still be on the crew in season three, but also, uh, Giorgio is, uh, still on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's weird. How does that fit the Section 31 plan? Maybe she just noped out like she has been doing all along. Uh, maybe. Just like at the last second. Michelle Yeoh sounds really excited about the show and interviews and stuff. And she says, like, yeah, like... About Disco or Section 31? About Section 31. Okay. But they have said previously, they said the, the Section 31 show won't come out until after Season 3 of Discovery. And now I, it, it's pretty obvious why. I don't, I don't know if that means the entire Discovery crew will eventually come back, or maybe she'll come back by herself somehow. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's time travel wackiness all abounding, so she could, she could do that at some point um, just on her own. I really don't know if the Discovery crew can... I, I mean, as cheesy as I think some people probably felt like the ending to this season was, I think it's going to be so much worse if the entire Disco crew comes back to this timeline. Well, what, what Alex Kurtzman said, and, and again, I'll have a link to the interview, he said that, um, yeah, we, we feel like we'll have a lot more freedom, you know, writing the show now with it being set in the future instead of it being set in, in the past of other Star Trek shows. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to me, I take that as like, uh, yeah, it's just going to be so much easier if we can just have, have this show move to this time period and you know, uh, not come back. You know, there's that problem with science fiction that when the present catches up with it, you know, everything looks, you're like, that didn't happen. And Trek's got a bit of that. We're supposed to be in the middle of the eugenics wars or whatever, right? No, or, or the eugenics wars happened in the 90s. Uh, that's well. Oh, wait. We're supposed to be post eugenics wars. Yes. yes. Right. Right. And then World War Three is going to happen in a few decades. Yeah. My point is that we've hit the point of problematic stuff. But you we throw have stuff a, a thousand have... years out there, you get a long time, <laughs> a long time to make these shows and for for it to not feel awkward when it doesn't happen. And Greg Cox wrote a pretty cool book about how the eugenics wars did happen in the nineties, <clears> and it was all it was all kept secret. That, that, and I think that's kind of a cool idea to sort of make some of that stuff work. Um, but yeah, now, now it'll, people a thousand years in the future will have to be like, oh, we don't have talking starships like it's the just... one in that short. Now, <laughs> I was kind of whatever about the Captain, let's make a Captain Pike TV series that all the fans are going on about. Yep. Now that Discovery's lost in the future and might stay there for a few seasons, potentially, the Captain Pike TV series sounds far more workable and useful and functional yes. than idea. Well, they devoted the last, like, five or ten minutes of this to, like, kind of get... It yeah. was as if they were like, this is happening, like, get get hyped, and, you know, the bridge of the but Enterprise that's, that's looks not, awesome. That's not how it was intended. They, they, I know, it just came so, off that way, yes. though. I think the, the only only things really left that we haven't touched on, unless any of y'all have anything to bring up, is um, we, we did see the death of Admiral Cornwell in this episode. Thoughts? thought it was lame. Why couldn't they just, like, get, like, a little grabby arm to press the thing? See, Why couldn't the little baby droids get yeah, yeah, the exactly. stupid robot? That was my <laughs> question when that happened. Is this the first dud photon torpedo we've seen? I mean, maybe no, it was some kind that, of super... That happened, that happened on DS9, that happened on Voyager. I remember the Voyager well, one. This is the third time I've seen that. Yeah. And that's not even a photon torpedo. That's, like... The, Didn't oh, they say oh, a photon torpedo? That's what they said, but that's not what it was. Oh. Okay. <laughs> but photon, photon torpedoes glow... There's yeah. like those, all those blue things I assumed around. it was one of the high, uh, being ultra nerd here, I assumed it was one of the high yield photon torpedoes that were mentioned and occasionally seen in the 24th century and that they're slow I mean, was... and easy to shoot down, but if the Discovery sh- shields are down and there's such a mess, they f- Section 31 said, sure, we'll try high yield and, and they, yeah. they aren't usually used in ship-to-ship combat I... and we see why. They don't go off properly. It, it looked more like, like the big-ass torpedoes they have in the Star Trek Into Darkness that you can hide 
hide a, a, a frozen person inside of. <laughs> it was way bigger than that. That thing was like the size of bigger than a shuttlecraft. Yeah, but like like it was unusually big for a torpedo. Yes, I yes, just figured it was a I section thirty one fancy. But none of their other torpedoes um, look like that. Most of their torpedoes are like glowing blue things. Well, that's because they save up their super torpedoes yeah, they, for when it's dramatically it's appropriate. One of the high and the super torpedo can't even go off uh, the right time. <laughs> that's so, why they aren't used in spaceship combat, because high-yield <laughs> torps aren't that reliable. I did feel it was kind of a weak scene, too. I like Cornwell. I don't mind that she got killed. But it felt uh, uh, it felt like a sort of contrived scene so that she could kind of go out with a redemption I, scene. I mean, I felt like, much go. like with Arian, they wanted me to feel things for a character that they didn't deserve me feeling things for. Like, I didn't care that she sacrificed herself because, like, I didn't know who she was. Like, oh, the she... only, like, real humanizing oh. moment I think she has... I mean, I guess there's She's a She's been back in a lot of Pike's plays in, the, in yeah, this season. Yeah, but, we, we but saw like, her a lot in season that's one. That's smart. Not necessarily, like... I right. Um, well, she also tried to uh, to get Stamets and Cobra back together like everybody else did. But that was really actually weird for me because <laughs> he was like, I feel like really conflicted and bad about this. And she's like, it's my expert opinion as a therapist that fuck you and do it. She also, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was the, she also coached uh, uh, Tyler when he was having a, a PTSD breakdown yeah, and something on prison. Yeah. She like... I helped coached him through that. that and that's cool. like the one moment that I can think of where I was like, okay, she's when like her cool. her back was broken. Like her. Oh. like her back was broken and she was like paralyzed from the waist down. Mm. And she was like uh, still like uh, keep keeping her shit together and trying, trying to lead. I think yeah, but I, then she was like, leader. genocide is a cool idea. Yes, and that's why I'm glad the character died because I, well, I, 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 I wanted her to be punished for that. No, see, that's... I don't think this is what they intended, but for me, it was, this is her way of dealing, atoning for all of the sins she has committed. Right. It's, and it's, that, it's what, in my head, my head canon is, that's why she said, no, it's gotta be me, I gotta do this, is because of all the sins she committed in season one. Everybody, like, the, 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 the and best her example. Own part in, in facilitating <clears throat> Control's existence. As an admiral, she's kind of supposed to keep control of things like that, and clearly she didn't. And not lose control to control? Yes. And she also was telling Pike a few episodes ago about, this is why we wanted to keep you out of the war, because we knew, like, you were, you were the, the, the perfect example of, of what we should be in... in no, like I'm paraphrasing, but it makes yeah. sense that she knows like, she's more compromised than he is. Yeah, so. like yeah. like like this guy is more valuable than I am. Like like the universe needs him more than it needs me. Now, here's what I would have done in that situation if if I was if I was in that room with the admiral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I she wouldn't have died. I would have saved her mm-hmm. because I would. There's have, no reason she had to die. Incidentally, that I can. Think I, I know, of. but like with with the the contrivance that they wrote. Yeah, I would have been like, okay, admiral, take off your clothes. Like, no, like, no, wait, wait, this isn't what you think. Just do it. And then I would take off my clothes and I would tie our clothes together and make like a clothes rope and wrap it around that handle. And we'd both go in the turbo lift and you pull the handle and the, you makes the blast shield come down and then like we're safe in the turbo lift. I don't know if you have that much time to tie all of your clothing. <laughs> 90 together. seconds, I could do it. <laughs> do you think you could? I, I ran drills. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know he why gets naked they... and pulls levers with his pants all the time. So. I don't know why they don't tie clothes together more often to fix Star Trek problems. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that seemed really obvious. I don't see how anyone could watch that scene and not think of that. <laughs> that is a super interesting point, That is point absolutely pottery. what I would have expected if Jet Reno had been the one trying to <laughs> yeah. save the day. But um, then... uh, also, like, it'd be really cool if they could make the entire ship out of whatever the fuck that blast door is made out of. Yeah. That I was just... the other thing that I was going to well, say. is like, why did that little dinky-ass like, door protect uh, it would have blown up like yeah. most of the ship. In, in 
in Star Trek The Next Generation, they have established that the walls are reinforced with structural integrity fields that basically turn them into slabs of force field. So You can minimalize uh, something I, that blows up inside the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could believe that if you set, had time to refocus it, you could make... Just for a second, it only needs to last a second, you could hyper-boost that structural integrity field to the point where it's as strong as the external shield yeah, on the ship. I'm being a little silly, but I was thinking, <laughs> that like, yeah, they, they could have like some force field reinforcement in, in there, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was kind of awkward to see the uh, like the the ship flying around with like big uh, bite out of the saucer. <laughs> the one thing I thought was interesting was the three the split screen, three different screens of three weird. different people talking. I was like, I don't think they've ever done that in Star Trek ever, have they? I kind of liked it. I, I, I didn't mind it. it. I thought it was fine, yeah. but I was like, have they ever done anything like that before? No. With Enterprise orange slight uh, bars breaking up the pictures, it's up there with the uh, with all their ca- crazy uh, upside down camera shots as they <laughs> pan over ships. You know what's weirder than doing that in an episode? It's doing that only one time in, in like the beginning and never doing it again. It, it, it would have been. It Were they doing it while everybody was running around? They did yeah. it when uh, Detmer was talking to Number One, and then like Saru comes into the conversation, but it was kind of stupid because it was uh, Detmer explaining that, okay, Bernal needs to be far enough away from the fleet, uh, far enough away from the battle that she can, like, open the wormhole and, like, the drones can't get into it, but close enough for the Discovery that the Discovery can follow her into the wormhole. And um, the way that she says is, like, yeah, like, Burnham needs to reach, like, the coordinates at arc point zero zero four or something like that. And number one says in English, please. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was weird, because number one's supposed to be super intelligent. The original series described her as, like, a human computer. Which we know that they, as a, a meta, meta, or outside of continuity, we know that they mapped that onto Spock. Um, but they hadn't established it in this, and I guess they haven't particularly shown it. She's clearly a hyper-competent uh, first officer. But it, was, it, it did strike me as weird whether they intended her to be super smart or just smart and efficient. Uh, it, it seemed weird for her to be like, translate that to English, please. Um, I did have a closing thought mm-hmm. for, I mean, I guess t- technically about the whole season, really. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, yeah, I particularly, especially in this episode, noticed that a lot of big moments went to women. Like a lot yeah. of the characters who were important to the plot... And even, like, a lot of the characters, like, like if you looked at the bridge of the Enterprise or the bridge of the Discovery, like, mostly women mm-hmm. on the bridges of these starships, which I think is really cool, especially also considering the number of women who are actually working on the show in general. Mm-hmm. And I did want to say, after making fun of and talking a lot of shit about the show uh, over the course of all my appearances on the podcast, uh-huh. that, like, I think it's awesome that that is part of the show. Yeah. Like, it does really That's just, feel... like, baked into it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it doesn't feel like they made a big deal of it. It's just, well, like, that's just part of the show. I had a uh, thematic thing I wanted to mention, which is that science versus faith thing, which uh, it occurred to me that I... Uh, the, the same complaint that I had earlier in the season, that it didn't... It felt like it was a slightly facile way to approach it, and that they really didn't discuss it in any meaningful way, where... You know, in the end, she says, she tells Spock, like, oh, you're asking me to take a leap of faith. And he's like, you know, it's the only logical thing or something. Or, mm. And I'm like, that's not really a, like a, that's, that's not a, a discussion. That's a paradox. You can't, you can't have faith <laughs> and like have a logical reason to believe it at the same time. Like that's, those, those are opposite right. things. Like, like faith is when you put your trust in something without having uh, evidence, evidence mm-hmm. for right. it. 
Right. Uh, and I get that they wanted to show that Spock was, I think, somewhat moved to have uh, a moment of faith, you know, in, in a person, uh, you know, that that's how important his sister was to him. But I, what I did miss was the the discussion and the kind of the depth that would have happened in, in you know, especially Next Generation. As, and the one I kept coming back to is the weaponizing of the Kelpians. Like, that happened, and, like, it, yes, it was to help them out, but, like, that changed their whole civilization, uh, arguably, to save the galaxy. But they, they never talked about it, never thought, oh, well, you know, are we, did we do a disservice to them? I mean, they were being eaten, so probably this is better than that. I I kind of want them to... It turned out that the Kelpians, the new Kelpians, start becoming a danger. They start becoming a problem because they're so aggressive. I I think... I don't know how you do that with Discovery in the future, but I guess if we get our Pike show or our Section 31 show, if the Kelpians start turning into a bit of a problem... The future is the perfect time to do it, because then you can say a thousand years have passed... And And, and the Kelpians have ate everyone. Yeah, they're going to come out, and there's little Kelpian spikes in all these (laughs) corpses and skeletons, and (laughs) they find them, and they're these skeletons with these pikes, and they're like, Saru! Oh yeah, like like Saru arrives on the Discovery, and they're like, oh, it's the legendary Saru, the liberator of our people. Yes, yes, yes. Who set us on our course to wipe out all he's, other life. He's brought us a ship full of aliens to dine on. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, wait till season three. I guess like my, my closing thoughts before we go huh? into the, the Easter eggs would be like, this, this episode had a bunch of stuff I loved, a bunch of stuff that made me roll my eyes. I honestly feel like it was trying too hard. Um, and and I, 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 I mentioned the things where I said like I was dissatisfied with the answers we got. Um... But uh, a lot of the stuff that was written here, um, I, I give these writers a hard time during this podcast, but this was uh, co-written by Michelle Paradise, going to be the new co-showrunner in season three. And based on the previous episode that she wrote, um, I, I think that she is very responsible for the, the more character-focused stuff in, in this episode and also in part one last week. And I'm still very excited to see what she brings to the table in season three. And even though, like, season two started out great for me, it uh, it developed a lot more imperfections uh, in the second half of the season, I think. Which is weird, because it's after, like, the showrunners got fired, and Alex Kurtzman kind of, like, took over more complete control. And mm-hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm really hoping that we get a very stable uh, season of Discovery with, with no crazy, like, showrunner changes or anything. Because <laughs> uh, the last two seasons were a little chaotic as far as that stuff is concerned. And uh, see, I think season two was much more stable. I think that's probably why it was more, um, I think it was more coherent and, and better quality than season one, even though I had some, some issues with season two. Uh, I'm very optimistic for season three. And uh, I, uh, Michelle Paradise, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what she brings to the table. And um, that's, as, as for this episode, though, yeah, I do feel like it's kind of like trying too hard to be like this big, cool spectacle thing. Maybe tone it down special effects. You don't need to add, like, weird little uh, R2-D2s. You know what's most exciting for me? <laughs> seeing uh, seeing Spock without the beard. I don't know if I had more or less complaints than you overall, but by ending it, like, with a very nostalgic nod, to be honest, uh, with the Enterprise and Pike and Spock and Spock going back to the classic look and all that, uh, like, I felt really very positive about it in those last few minutes. So. There's, a, there's a big yeah. Easter egg I don't know how much of that there. is just nostalgia, but it was cool to see it all realized with fancy effects and stuff. Yeah, and then there, there's a big Easter egg in there that we will get to <coughs> uh, momentarily because we are going to transition into our Easter egg section because uh, this podcast is coming out on Easter Sunday. So. Oh, wow. So how cool is that? Oh, amazing. So how many eggs can we find <laughs> for Easter? 
I, I was going to point out that uh, Pike did say, uh, get it done, like uh, Jellico will mm-hmm. say okay. in the next generation. Yep. Um, uh, also, another time, a, a quote in Discovery echoes something we previously heard in Star Trek. Uh, when Burnham is asking Reno if she can hurry up on charging the time crystal, she says, uh, violate the basic laws of physics? Uh, no. <laughs> and that's something that... Uh, Similar to what Scotty said in the original series episode, uh, the the naked the naked uh, time or the naked time. I, I get them, I get them mixed up. Naked the now T- is the okay. TNG. Yeah. In the naked time, um, Scotty says, uh, "I cannot change the laws of physics. I've got to have thirty minutes." Yep. Other other uh, callback to a previous quote in this episode is uh, Saru and Giorgio quoting. The Art of War. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard Saru in the Prime Universe, Giorgio, mm-hmm. talk about Art of War way back in uh, the Vulcan Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or no, it was in the, the Battle of the Binary Stars. Second, oh, wow. The second episode. Mm-hmm. Long ways ago. Um, yeah, so all the way back at the beginning. But yeah, in this episode he says, uh, be extremely subtle, even to the point of formlessness. Be extremely mysterious, even to the point of soundlessness. Thereby, you can be the director of the opponent's fate. That completely it's... described the battle we saw. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Then the next Easter egg is the Enterprise with the sustained uh, blue phaser beams, which uh, was frequently used in the original series. In fact, in the original series remasters that they did a few years ago, where they updated the special effects, they, they changed all the Enterprise phasers to blue. Hmm. But I, I think in the you know, 60s version, like, they're sometimes red, sometimes green, I think. But, um, yeah, uh, the, the retcon is that it was all blue all the time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it looks cooler when the phasers are blue. I agree. Um, uh, next we have uh, Pike says that Burnham will need two minutes and 47 seconds <laughs> to reach her destination. So they, 47. They managed the, to shoehorn in another 47 to, yep. before they closed out the season. Yep, amazing. Dave, did, did you catch that one? Nope, yeah. I never do. I never. I don't really listen to the numbers other than whatever the broad strokes are. Do they have an hour or do they have five minutes? That's all I care about. Uh, then when we have the, the Klingons show up and join the battle, uh, we do get the, the famous Klingon quote, uh, today is a good day to die. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the uh, Star Trek Discovery uh, makeup guy, Glenn Hendrick, is uh, in, in charge of the makeup department. He appears as that really cool-looking Klingon on Laurel's ship. Oh. He's credited as Cavort. And he is the best looking Klingon the show has ever had. Of course it, he would be. It, yeah. So like he Cavort. made, he made himself he made himself the yeah. best looking Klingon. Um if, if you pause it and stare at him too long, it kinda uh <laughs> it, it kinda gets worse when the longer you look, into you look the at abyss. it. Um like like the forehead looks really weird, doesn't look like any Klingon we've seen before, but like like the way that he had like the beard and the hair and the eyebrows, it, it all looks super recognizable as a uh as as a Klingon from like the TNG DS nine era. Right. But even that, they're gonna have they're gonna add their discovery flair to. So it's a discovery version of a TNG DS9 era. And then uh, next we have the green blood on Spock's face uh, when we see his yeah. face get scratched up in the, some some of the battle action. So uh, that's always always cool to have the reminder that the Vulcans right. have green blood. If if McCoy's not here, I need to see it visually. <laughs> if McCoy's not here to be racist. <laughs> A green-blooded hobgoblin. Yeah. Um, also, uh, we have, uh, Tilly has to make those shield repairs. She goes into uh, Jeffrey's tube. So, uh, nice oh, little, right. little callback to the Jeffrey's yep, tube. one of the most iconic <laughs> places on the ship. 
And um, is it is it just me or did anyone catch number one's name? At one point, does Pike... I saw does... that reading something online about it, but I had not noticed it until... I didn't notice it in the episode. Uh, wait, did they say her name? Because even like in the deposition at the <laughs> yeah. end, she was like... My name is number one. Yeah, Holly commented on that. Wow, she even goes by number one in the deposition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah apparently they mentioned the Una one. Did they say from... Una or Anna? Uh, so the, the recap, I was quick skimming earlier. Uh, that I I don't remember where it was from. It could have been Women at Warp. could have been some other sci-fi themed place. But they they spelled it out as Una. Okay. Hmm. Uh, which which is like what she is it how she's listed in the script is and, and the, that's in the books yeah, yeah it, it for sure novels. is yeah. but um, uh, yeah I, 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 so so he did name drop it and I think the thing was that, that I was reading said they weren't sure whether they still it didn't clarify is like is that itself a nickname uh, you know uh, or is number one the nickname I don't know okay. I'm assuming her natural first name isn't number. Uh, I think Una is uh, a little silly. It's I mean it, it's it's silly. Like what what is her name? Numera Una. Like, it's, it's goofy <laughs> as hell. Yeah. I'm kind of fine with giving the novels a shout out. A little love for the novels. Well, the control came from the novels. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... Uh, we also have uh, Burnham's goodbye speech, which uh, strongly implies that uh, Spock will one day find a friend or a possible uh, boyfriend. And Captain Kirk. You got a friend in me. Um, and then, well, I thought this was a really cool, because the motion picture doesn't get referenced that much. But uh, oh, yes. the, the wormhole effect, when the Discovery goes in the wormhole, it looks like the wormhole effect we see on the Enterprise. Some of that blurring yeah, thing. In, in the motion picture. I got so excited when I saw that, I'd forgotten about that. I was like, oh, look, look, look. I love that effect. <laughs> it is a cool effect. I should have... Uh, I liked it as an effect. Uh, I didn't like it for reminding me of the motion picture, though. <laughs> that brought great sadness to my people. Uh, it brought, brought great <laughs> happiness <people>. to mine. <laughs> there was um, much rejoicing among the, my people. Everyone, everyone loves the motion picture now. It's like a... There has been a, re- a definite rethink in it. Which, I, when I, when I rewatch it, I will go into it as open-minded as possible. Uh, yes, because we will be discussing that uh, soon on Text Trek. More, more on that in a bit. Um... Uh, next Easter egg, we have uh, Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco. Looked fucking awesome. Yeah. And we see the Golden Gate Bridge with all those, like, uh, solar panels on it, which I thought was cool. Oh, I, they, I, did, I didn't notice that. They That's probably cool. won't have solar panels like that in the future. We just figure, like, oh, yeah, like, those are, like, old enough. There's, like, World War Three era <laughs> solar panels. It yeah. should have had those little flying robots around it. That's how we know it's future. Yeah, and then, and then short... them with lasers and stuff. <laughs> Then shortly after we see Starfleet headquarters, we see uh, dry dock in orbit where the Enterprise is being repaired. Looked a lot like the dry dock we see in the motion picture and in the Wrath of Khan. Looked beautiful. Like, the ship looked so cool there. Mm-hmm. Classic Enterprise. And we had, like, the same design, like those, like, I guess they're, they're hexagon or octagon, like those lights. In the engines? Or, or like, in the, yeah. you know, like, those lights that are just, like, floating in space, like, like shining light. Was like, crews are, like, working on the ships yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of the same design. They added, like, a lot more detail, a lot more texture, but very similar designs as what was used in the motion picture. Uh, that Andy uh, Probert probably came up with originally. Mm-hmm. Then we have that uh, moment of, of, of Spock on the Enterprise talking about, um... Kind of, kind of like a letter he's writing to Burnham, um... You know, explaining uh, what all had happened and why they, for some reason, they have to keep everything secret. I wasn't real clear on that either, but 
Uh, uh, so that the people who are obsessed with continuity will shut up. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of felt like all of that was just to yeah. get the haters to shut up. They, um, and I was like, I guess we just have to endure this because we can't burn them, so we have to appease, <laughs> throw them a bone. Spock <laughs> uh, says to paraphrase an Earth physicist, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to me. Does, does anyone know who he is referring to? I've heard it before, but I, I couldn't, can't remember, and I literally watched this episode in I'm going to say, uh, well, let's see, Arthur C. Clarke's not a physicist. I'm um, going to guess Carl Sagan. I'm going to say um, Stephen Hawking. Y'all are both wrong. It was no. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. okay. Who has uh, often mentioned that he's a Star Trek fan himself, so oh. maybe, maybe he'll be thrilled to learn that uh, Star Trek seems to be a fan of him. But they didn't want to say his name. <laughs> That's because we're still waiting to see if the sexual harassment thing is going to pan <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> if they do, they'll edit, edit it back there's... in. Yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll, 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 they'll redub it. Yeah. <laughs> As Neil deGrasse Tyson once said. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we have Beardless Spock. As Dave mentioned, he loved that. Uh, I, I, I love that, so too. So smooth. Even though Ethan Peck looks really weird without a beard now. Uh, kind of kind of sure. off a little bit. Yeah. I mean that was the point. They already got to give him almost the Spock eyebrow, and I didn't. I didn't need like number one and Pike to be like, "Oh my god!" And just like like wide eyed and their jaws on the floor. I mean, like yeah, they were so wide eyed that I was like, "Oh, has he been wearing this beard since before he got crazy?" Because I thought it was supposed to be a little bit of a he let himself go because he kind of lost it a bit. Right? Yeah, like, I think they like, but over- like maybe he's been wearing it like for years. They overplayed that reaction, but it was cool to see him with his proper look. You know, clean shaven. Blue shirt and at the science station with the uh, Starfleet points on his sideburns. Yeah, yes. and, and he had, he had like the like the, the the recreation of the science station from the original series, which yeah, was super gotta, cool. Had you got to have the viewmaster. Had, a, had a, his, his viewer, and then like that that weird like black and white blurry kind of like spinning things. Yeah, pattern, yeah. yeah. Um, so that that was cool to see all of that, and then the the kind of the the, the final shot is the camera pulling out of the bridge dome of the Enterprise that mirrors the opening shot of the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage, set on this ship with these characters, you know, Pike, Spock, and number one. And that, that episode begins with the camera zooming into the bridge dome. Yeah, a weirdly ambitious shot of, like, as if you were flying through the dome into the bridge. Huh. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of weirdly ambitious for the time. They did never recreate that, as far as I know. Well, they, they recreated it for the TOS remaster, when they actually, like, oh, CGI'd they... all. And, they, like, the CGI version that they, like, I mean, you know, it, it looks pretty cool. It looks realistic and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you know, the original was, like, obviously kind of um, superimposed footage. On, right, on sort the, of, yeah, more blue but... screeny or whatever. It was pretty impressive for the time. Yes, for, for the Actually, time. For the time, it would have got everyone to sit up and go, "Holy crap!" And it, it <laughs> immediately, it immediately conveys to the audience the the size of the ship in in ratio to the the yeah. people serving aboard. So, yeah. which is why Roddenberry always wanted the bridge to be on top of the ship so that we would have an idea of the scale. Hmm. Fathery, uh, is that our last Easter egg? Yes, I would like to retract one of them in a way or take one off the score because I have an anti Easter egg. The anti Easter egg is that it turns out they weren't Borg. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there oh, yeah. we, we made I just wanted to quick bring that up. Yeah. Made it through the season with no board connections. I'm I'm thrilled about that. I overall think that's probably good. I'm weirded out by how close they got to it either without knowing it uh or teasing it 
kind of for no particular reason that I can think of. What did, what did y'all think? I, I, as I said last episode, I was kind of got, made my peace with it and realized that symbolically, I kind of liked the idea that the, that the, the U.S.'s, U.S.'s CIA created the ultimate evil, foreign evil other, yeah. um, <laughs> symbolically. You but won I'm, me over with that argument. But that was your argument originally, Dave. Uh, uh, good oh, job. Okay. Man. Well, then, yes, I think great. you articulated it better than I did. But, but I was also, I accept that plot-wise, it's problematic and cheesy. So I'm okay with them not doing it. I, I was okay with them doing it. So it was, I, was, I kind of had pros and cons. Yeah, it it would have been cool to see like a cool like uh, continuity connection like that. But I, 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 did, I didn't need it to be the origin of the fucking board. And like, depending on uh, how neutralized Control is, we still might get it in uh, season three. I, I hope we don't see Control again. Like I said, that was a lame villain. But Anna, what do you got? I mean, I, I would have been interested if it was the Borg because I think like uh like social climate wise, mm-hmm. uh like the, the, the fear of like technology overreaching and like ruling our lives mm-hmm. and being a part of everything we do and like you know, like weird targeted ads and shit that people complain about all the time. Like yeah. the that like fear of technology like and us becoming like inseparable. Mm-hmm. Like I think that this would have been the perfect time for something like that. But I acknowledge I guess that if perhaps, they hadn't made it like the well, I was I was gonna say if they hadn't made it the point of the thing because it was really it's kind of an aside, you know. It's not like the yeah. theme was was that sort of science and faith uh, sort of thing, but um, but yeah, yes. I, I hadn't thought about that. That we are uh, culturally, we really are approaching that moment. What do they call that? Singularity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're we're probably coming up on that. So uh, yeah, they may need to. If that happens, then uh, Borg stories may be very different. <laughs> We may be, it may be suddenly less of a, a wacky lark and more of a, oh yeah, remember before we were enslaved by robots? But the, the Borg, the Borg are too big to be just something like, oh yeah, humans created that on accident. Yeah, but I, I kind of agree. It, it sort of minimizes them somehow. Or... They're supposed to be like a, a galaxy-wide threat and like the, this ancient superpower that's kind of like beyond what, what, what we can comprehend. You know, like uh, I, I remember reading something in like a, the next generation behind the scenes that like... Uh, an idea in, in season two of the next generation was that if, if Q is as God, if he's like an unfair God, then the Borg are meant to be like like the devil of the Star Trek universe. I just and, felt they were more Cthulhu esque than the devil, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, and like like a cosmic horror element of it. Is that, yeah. in that first episode, this is something that Trent has brought up on here when we had him when he brings up like that first episode. Uh, is it uh, Q who? In season two of Next Generation? Uh, sounds right. Like, Ridiculous cute. name for a super say. serious episode, yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, what a dumb, charming when, little name. When, <laughs> when Picard is getting a little too cocky, where he's like, yeah, like, like we humans, we can be like these great Roddenberry, perfect humans of the future, and do all this great stuff, which I, I largely like having in Star Trek, but he was like, yeah, let me show you something that you can handle, John Luke. And uh, he, he shows them the Borg. Uh, yeah, it's like, there is stuff out there that is so far beyond you, that is so terrifying that yeah. you, you're... You're nothing to they're, they're They're presented as like the, this fucking nightmare. And so it, it, it really does uh, minimize their importance to make them... Uh, yeah, something that a uh, hundred years earlier, people were accidentally screwing around with some, some AI and, and, and came up with this. <laughs> right. We uh, we do need to jump to our, our uh, mailbag. Just if I, if I missed any Easter eggs in this episode, be sure to let us know and we will acknowledge your comment. Uh, just like we're about to uh, do uh, some of the some of the... Uh, responses we've gotten this last week. Okay, so first up we have our uh, frequent contributor to our mail, Adam B. Owen, via Facebook. Hi, Adam. 
And I believe the context of this was that he had uh, posted a link to that petition to get Pike his uh, his own show. Yeah, to, to, to an article discussing the, the petition. Right, right. And uh, he simply comments, I mean, they have the sets already built. My biggest objection to making this, this Pike show was going to be that it would be redundant to have two shows in the same time period, about like two Starfleet ships, right. Discovery and the Enterprise, it, w- it would be redundant. Whereas in the past, uh, Star Trek has always tried to make uh, each show different from what's come before and also different from anything else that's on the air. Right. Uh, that's why DS9 wasn't allowed to have a ship when Next Generation was on the air. Mm-hmm. When Next Generation finished and they started Voyager, Voyager's on the other side of the galaxy, so yeah, DS9, you can have a ship, you can have the Defiant. Mm-hmm. You can like, go around the Alpha Quadrant and do stuff there because it's not going to overlap with the other show. Mm-hmm. Now, with Discovery has moved permanently to the future... I have no reason to object to a Pike show, and I actually uh, really want it. I want to. I love these sets. I love the recreation of the Enterprise. I love the uniforms. I love the actors. I love the characters. Yeah. I, I want the Pike show. I think the main objection would be it's sort of one more prequel that's roughly in Kirk's era and will perhaps somewhat approximate his kind of adventures. Uh, I'm ninety percent with you, though. What do y'all think? I would absolutely watch it. I. I... I mean, overall, I'm for it. You know, I guess overall, I, I was impressed enough with Pike that seeing more adventures with Pike sounds like a net win. Though I do wonder if we've done enough Planet of the Week stories in six, seven hundred year hours of Star Trek. But, mm. you know, what the hell? Let's do some more Planet of the Weeks with new special effects in this Pike. It could be great. I would be down for it. What do you think? I know these are fighting words, but I actually don't like Picard all that much. And I'd much rather have a Pike show than a Picard show. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. You were, you were let, mentioning that earlier. Let me ask you all this. If you didn't know what the future of Star Trek Discovery was going to be, and uh, you were given the option, would you rather see, A, a show of the Discovery characters wherever their story took them a thousand years in the future, mm-hmm. or B, a show that picks up where this episode ended with, with Pike on the Enterprise and that crew, which show would you pick? I would pick the Pike one. Uh, Discovery all the way. I'm much more. Yeah, I would yeah. enjoy the Pike, but I'm I'm much more interested in what they're going to do with Discovery next. Uh, assuming that they somewhat follow the tone of uh, of classic Trek, uh, I'm such a episode of the week kind of person. Uh, a little bit of an mm-hmm. anomaly in that sense that I would go Pike. And I think Pike could still do season long art. Sure, sure. There's there. I would not assume that they would do exactly the style of it, and they you know. They, they can evolve it. But. Anna, which one would you go with? I wouldn't watch a Pike, or rather, I wouldn't rather a Pike show over the Discovery because, like, we have very set, like, plotted beginnings and endings for these characters going into this show. And I feel like it's really hard to generate, like, drama, especially, like, in the way that modern shows like to do with, like, the danger and the threat of death sure, at she all said. times. <laughs> that I think it would be really hard to hang on to a Pike show. And part of it I'm admitting wanting to see is, like, nostalgia. Right. Um, and also, I have a pretty strong attachment to a lot of the disco characters, so I think it's unfair that you would make me pick between them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mind prequels if there's characters who we know aren't going to die, because if the if the drama is written well enough in the moment, you, it can still suck you in. And also, like, we all fucking know Burnham's not going to die halfway through a season on Discovery. Yeah. But you can still you can still be engaged and invested in, in a scene that's putting her in danger. I mean, that's fair, I guess. But Right. But I guess there's at least the possibility, because they're so crazy with Discovery, <laughs> yeah. that they do it, whereas there's no possibility that Pike can get killed. Like, he has to. And even he if you don't kill live. them, you can do all sorts of stuff with Pike and Spock 
you can't the stuff you can do with Michael and Saru that you cannot do with Pike and Spock because sure. you have to match up with sixty yeah. Star Trek loosely. You know, I mean, yeah, like they could cut Burnham's arms off, and the only like you can't do terrible things <laughs> and to give her Pike. like badass robo arms. Yeah, like, yeah. That turns like, like a weird happens. anime. Or yeah, something. Jet would exactly. build her robo arms, and we'd have uh, robo we're, Burnham. Well, we're getting crazy. We're getting crazy. Uh, yeah. Shall we move on to the next message? Yes, yeah. yeah, so we also have something on, on Twitter in regards to Captain Pike. Yeah, this was this was really cool. This was um, uh, posted to I believe Anson Mount's Twitter page uh, um, from Michael Stepniak. Yeah, Michael Stepniak, who's uh, been a, a, a frequent uh, commenter on on mm-hmm. uh, text Trek. Uh, material so uh, thank you Michael and very coolly referenced us as he was and referenced something that Holly said last week he he tweeted your pike is amazing I think uh, I think Holly on at text trek podcast said it best that paraphrasing the world is fucked up and pike is a character who represents the best of humanity someone we aspire to be who represents hope in an ugly world um and then, uh, yeah, that got a like from Anson Mount. And yeah, that's it, why I married her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, so, well played. She's, she's also gotten a message from my favorite Doctor Who novelist. But, so. uh, no, that's super awesome. Uh, so, so Anson Mount does his own podcast. It seems like it's like a, a creative process kind of thing. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of cool to know that we kind of pop a little on that radar. Yeah, so so I, uh, I'm glad that Anson Mount approves of, of stuff that has been discussed here on Text Trek. Yep. And uh, Anson, if you're checking this out, if you want me to guest on The Well uh, on, on your podcast, I will try to make time for that. I think <laughs> I think we might be able to work something out. I got I got a busy year uh, planned for Text Trek, but uh, I I I his will, agent could I, call you. Uh, yeah, I will attempt to, to get something on the books if, if you're if you're down for that. He'll call you and ask, "How can I get Holly on the show?" <laughs> yes, <laughs> and also if you want to get a cup of coffee sometime. Call me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and our final comment here is from YouTube from Jude Beecham. Beacom, sorry. Um, Hi, Jude. Hi, Jude. I put off watching the Game of Thrones premiere for this installment. You're welcome, Text Track. Yes. So, so last last week we actually dropped the uh, Text Track mm-hmm. podcast right as um, the Game of Thrones, the most popular TV show of the last decade, was premiering its final season. But uh, we still had we still had people uh, hitting up the the podcast, hitting up the YouTube video as soon as it dropped. So hmm. I, I am uh, humbled by our our uh, loyal audience. Yeah, that's that's a, that really is super cool. I cannot ask for anything more than to someone to po- for someone to postpone Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, years ago, I was running a role playing game uh, during a one of the premieres of Game of Thrones, or it might have actually just been a regular episode, and everybody in the game was like. You know, Dave, we're missing Game of Thrones for this, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> I felt so. I, I'm like, I hate you all now. Um, but uh, but no, but but not uh, Jude. There, Jude is awesome. Jude is better than any of the people I've ever gamed with. Yes, and and, That's and fair. Uh, Jude has left us comments and feedback before, and, yes. and so thank you for that, Jude. Thank thank you for everyone who's commented this the season that we've we've been talking about the Star Trek Discovery. And I, I, I wish I could like go through a list and like like shout out uh, everyone's name and, and give you all recognition and thank you for being part of the conversation. But I'm scared I'm going to forget someone in there. But just all all of you who have uh, responded to us in some in some fashion, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I I put, I put a lot of time into this and and my my guests go out of their way to uh, make appearances here and uh, we, it, it it really means a lot to me that that people uh, enjoy what we have to say and. 
uh, I, or listening, and I'm not just uh, rambling into a void somewhere. <laughs> Word. I uh, yeah, total total agreement, and I'm I'm interested to hear what everybody has to say. I've already seen some comments. Uh, about the big finale, general thoughts on season two wrapping up. Yeah, we, we want to hear all that stuff. What did you think about this last episode, and what did you think of season two in general? And please stick around. Please keep tuning in each week, because uh, me and Dave have a lot to talk about this year. We're going to try to keep the uh, weekly format up for, for a little bit and just, just see how that goes. And we'll be, we'll be talking about uh, season two in its entirety uh, next week and. Uh, I'm going to try to go back and rewatch the whole thing and, and see what I think about uh, the, those early episodes now that I know how everything ended and and I kind of give a, a, a general impression of the entire season. And then after that, uh, we have a, a lot of other cool stuff. We're actually going to revisit uh, All Good Things, the series finale of Next Generation, because uh, we are approaching its 25th anniversary. We're going to be talking about all 13 Star Trek movies this year. And so we'll, we'll be spending our summer uh, talking about a lot of Star Trek movies. We also have... Star Trek Las Vegas coming up. I have just booked my flight to Las Vegas, so I'm excited about that. If, if any of y'all are going to be at STLV, if you see me, by all means, come and say something to me. I, I, I would I would love to to uh, talk to some of y'all face-to-face in person, and we'll, we'll be covering STLV. We're going to have the news for the Picard show that's going into, into development, that's going into production, that uh, we're, there's going to be uh, trailers and uh, some some story details and all kinds of cool stuff to talk about with y'all so uh definitely please stick around because we we have a a lot to talk about it's gonna be a very big year hell yeah and uh, that's uh all we have for tonight though so we'll be back sunday to talk about star trek discovery season two and uh, until then as always live live long and prosper y'all thank all of you so much for checking out this installment of text trek i hope you enjoyed it Uh, Please be sure to like our YouTube videos and subscribe to our channel. Uh, Audio-only version of episodes are available at our website, www.text-trek.com. Please check out our site, especially if you just want an audio-only podcast. Uh, We have that available for you. Y'all can also keep up with us online. You can follow us on Twitter, at TXTrek. Or you can uh, check us out on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash text-trek. Please, by all means, let us know what you think by dropping a comment anywhere you see fit. Uh, We definitely want to hear your feedback. Let us know what you liked and what you would like to see more of, what you would like to see differently going forward. If you want to email me directly, uh, go ahead. I can be reached at fatheryactual at text-trek.com. Thank all y'all again. Take care.